started with growing food, and then I started baking bread, because that's what we do at home, just value add-on. Um, bread starts selling, but then I started um, exploring the option of baking bread the old-fashioned way. And I will tell you a little bit of my journey as we go on. And um, I've been baking bread probably for about 20 years. And there's always a lot to learn. I think it's kind of like an art. And transitioning from baking bread with commercial yeast to baking bread with natural yeast is a little bit more challenging. But again, never give up. Just keep up. There is a lot to learn. So I'm still learning every day. So I would like to share today what I have learned. And we're going to start with um, a little bit of history. Before we start, I would like to pray, and then I will outline what we're going to do today. Our gracious Redeemer, I'm so thankful that you made this conference possible. I believe this is like a Red Sea opened up for us to be here together and share and just encourage each other um, how to garden, how to homestead, how to just be together as a family because we're all ready to see your face very soon. Cannot wait for that moment. But while we're here on earth, I, play, I pray that you will bless our time together. Um, you will give me correct English to say all the words right. Um, and I pray that your face will shine uh, as we share the topic of bread of life because you are the bread of life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today, I would like to show you how to make bread um, in the very end. That's what I do for farmer's market, but um, first we'll start with a history. I would like to ask first how many people listened to live presentation last year that I presented in Florida. Can you please raise your hand? Okay, so two. How many people listen to on Audioverse? Okay, so it will be kind of new. Um, one more thing, how many people actually bake bread at home? Wonderful, wonderful. How many people baked with natural yeast, not commercial yeast? One, two, three, four, one, five, six. Wonderful. So like I said, I'm still learning. I'm not a pro at it but I would like to share with you what I know. It's wonderful that we have a, most of you are new. So the presentation I had last year, I pray that it will um, answer some of your questions because I was battling with the same question uh, about the bread made without commercial yeast and the whole concept of sourdough and stuff like that. So we're going to start. Um, the Bible talks about the leaven and... And it says in Exodus, and the people took their dough before it was leavened, having their kneading bowls bound up and their clothes on their shoulders. And during World War II and during harsh time, people would keep the leaven, this is leaven, this is the natural yeast that we're going to make bread with. They would sleep with it at night in harsh weather in the winter to save it because it can last for three, four, five hundred years, and you can make with the same 
just feed it. I'll go into details later. So it's very, very precious, the leaven. Another parable spoke he unto them, The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which is a woman took and hid in three measure of meals, till the whole was leavened. And know you not that the little leaven leavens the whole lump. And that's the whole concept about bread making. You put the leaven into, like today, I'm just having flour, water, salt, and water. Just four ingredients. Right here. So it's very simple bread. Leavened bread in ancient Egypt. So nobody really truly knows how leavened bread started, the history of it. But um, in ancient Egypt, the word for bread was the same as the word for life. Emmer wheat and barley are by far the most common grains of ancient Egypt, while other varieties of this species and some millet have been identified. In the beginning, the simplest Egyptian bread was made from flour mixed with water and salt, patted into flat circles with the hands laid on the hot rock next to the fire to cook. It's more like crackers or unleavened bread, like tortillas. Egypt produced the first leavened bread, perhaps by accident, one theory is that East landed, not the commercial East, but wild East that's in the air, actually, landed on some dough left out. The gluten in the flour went to work, and the bread puffed up. So a sourdough method was employed for leavened bread. Remnants of a previous batch of dough was mixed with new dough and allowed to ferment or sour overnight. So another word in the literature you will see it's called mother dough. I went to Central Asia. They don't have anything like this. What they do, they just make a batch of dough. They save a little clump. They put it actually in the cupboard for two, three days. They take that clump out and put it in the next batch of just flour, water, and salt. And it leavens the whole lump. It's called mother dough. Mine is a little bit different. This is not dough. It's actually wild yeast. So the Egyptians did not have yeast sealed in foil packets of jars, nor did the pilgrims or settlers. So where did the families through history get yeast? The answer is simple. From family and community, and originally from the air, wild yeast is everywhere, in the air you breathe, on the bark of the trees, on leaves. Ever seen the white film on the grapes? If you grow grapes, it has a white film. That's actual wild yeast. Some people start batch like that with uh, grapes, wild grapes, um, that's organically grown, of course, and make the starter themselves. So the same film can be found on juniper berries. For centuries, both berries have been used as a natural start for bread yeast. Natural yeast is sometimes referred to as sourdough, but the right strain of yeast, it doesn't have to be sour. So until the 19th century, homemade yeast was the only kind there was. I just wanted to make it clear that for centuries, people never had Walmart Fleshman yeast flakes. So how did they make the bread? We, um, so in 1857, Louis Pasteur discovered that living organism yeast were responsible for fermentation. He actually isolated it for the first time. In the U.S., Compressed yeast cake, right there, it looks like tofu. That's actually the very original yeast. It was in a brick form, it's wet, it spoils very fast. You can still buy it online, but it spoils very fast. So it's mostly used commercially. So that was introduced in the, uh, in the Philadelphia 
Exposition 1876, which drew 10 million visitors. And when America entered World War II, East companies developed dry East for the military, which did not require refrigeration. So the dry East was introduced only around World War II. And then in 1984, rapid rising East was invented in the U.S. laboratories. So in 1980s, also saw another trend, the beginning of continuous spike of celiac disease, gluten intolerance, acid reflux disease, diabetes, and wheat allergies. There is evidence that using natural yeast can help combat these problems. So like I mentioned, we bake for farmer's market, and the main reason why people coming back, we had even people with celiac diseases can digest this bread. I never advertise it that way because it's a legal statement. But gluten intolerant people can't tolerate the bread that's been broken down. And the reason why, because the wild yeast breaks down the gluten structure of the wheat. The gluten is a complex structure of proteins made out of individual amino acids. And the wild yeast breaks it down so body can digest. Now the commercial yeast is made for that very reason to make bread very fast. So it doesn't have time. You probably made some bread at home. In one hour, it rises, maybe second rise and so on. But in two hours, you have a bunch of loaves of bread. It doesn't have that time to break down the gluten. So you can see right there lots of um, benefits of bread made with natural yeast. I'm going to skip that. So... Amazing thing about the bread made with natural yeast that a glycemic index is, for diabetics, it's the best bread. Because as you can see, it's a little bit blurry, and I apologize for that. I will just show you, um, see the dark line? It says sugar, 65, glycemic index. Right above it is whole wheat from the grocery store. That has 66, glycemic index. The very top one is French baguette, 95. And go all the way down on the very bottom is artisan sourdough. It has only 30. So it's much better for blood sugar regulation. It's for everybody, not just for diabetics. So this is a picture of just a label of regular commercial bread. And you can see, I don't know if I want to eat that all. So this is a picture of ingredients of sourdough from the grocery store. So as you can see, it doesn't have anywhere that it has leaven, natural yeast. It has regular commercial yeast. It's right in the center. And then to make it sour for the taste, they add vinegar. And you know, I went to a health food store in Springfield, Missouri, and I checked every single bread that was there, refrigerated, frozen, all kinds of bread. Only one company... Serenity Bakery from Arkansas actually makes bread like I make today, without commercial yeast and without vinegar. So I would like to share that with you today. So isn't sourdough bread for, bad for us? So this is what I really prayed about for four months because I wanted to know, is it God's will or not God's will for me to even do all this? And then I found this... Um, well, this is some quotes that we can find in the Spirit of Prophecy. It talks about sour bread. And, and what 
I understand there is a huge difference between sour bread and sourdough bread. It's just labeled sourdough. I wish they would not, because they add vinegar. It does make sour taste. But the bread that I make is not sour. I actually do have it at the booth for sale. You would like, I have only like 10 loaves of bread. So if you would like to try the old-fashioned bread, this would be the one that um, like comes the closest to old-fashioned bread. So if you can see, I'm not going to read the whole quote, but it talks about heavy sour bread, heavy sour bread. That's where Ellen White was writing about throwing to the swine and um, they got the pigs got uh, hurt by it. So here is again several quotes from Spirit of Prophecy. It talks about bread heavy, sour, partially baked. Another one from Council of Diets, poor, heavy, sour bread. Another one of Council of Diets, again, poor, sour, heavy. They let the bread sour before baking. And the last one, not the least taint of sourness should be tolerated. So this, I really appreciated um, this quote. It actually gives us a little bit of history. I actually love to understand spirit of prophecy in a way connected with the history. I think it's very, very important to understand what did, how did they live back then? What did they face? So this is non-Christian book I found online. Owen Simmons, The Book of Bread, was published in 1886. So it was pretty close to the time that we're discussing about, and analyzed various breads from bakeries across the whole of England, Scotland, and Wales. A bread made with eight ounces of malt extract and eight ounces of East Simmons described as a miserable loaf to be guarded against, worst seen for a long time, poor flour, poor process, poor skill. Another local baker's bread was likewise described as poor loaves, overworked, bad flavor, bad smell, cold oven, Largely contributed, sponged too long. Sponges rising time too long. Other loaves ranged from atrocious, sour, pasty, discolored. Fortunately, elsewhere, some were described as beautiful and excellent. But finding good bread at the end of 19th century was a hit and miss. And some of the commonly used additives added to bread in 19th century were actually poisonous. To whiten bread, bakers sometimes added alum and chalk to the flour, while plasters of Paris, calcium sulfate, mashed potatoes, pipe clay, and even sawdust could be added to increase the weight of loaves. Dried powdered beans were commonly used to replace wheat flour, and the sour taste of stale flour was then disguised with ammonium carbonate. So it gives a little bit history to see what was she talking about, the sour bread, the poorly baked, just not it's partially baked and so on. So this is the quote I found. It's in a book. It's called Health or How to Live. I believe it's written by pioneers, Adventist pioneers. And it's a compilation of different authors. I believe James White was the one that put the book together. Health or How to Live. On page 34, uh, it says, Sweet. So how did they leaven bread? That's what we want to find out. Did they use commercial yeast? No, because it was invented during World War II. So what did they use for leavened bread? So hopefully this will help us to understand. Leavened bread, sweet brown bread. So here's the direction. It's kind of like a recipe. 
Take one quart of rye flour, two quarts of coarse Indian meal, one pint of wheat meal, half a teaspoon of molasses or brown sugar, and one gill of potato yeast. So now she's talking about potato yeast, or they are. Mingle the ingredients into a stiff, a dough as can be stirred with a spoon, using warm water for wetting. Let it rise several hours. Catch that. Try to, try to do it with um, just commercial yeast for several hours. It says uh, overnight, it's going to be unbearably sour. Then put it in a large dip pan and bake for five or six hours. So potato hops yeast, hop yeast. And here's the recipe how to make the hop yeast. It's found on Health or How to Live, page 35. Wash, pair, and grate one dozen large potatoes. Boil two large handful of hops in five pints of water and strain it on the grated potatoes. Add a teacup tea full of sugar and half cup teaspoon of salt. Put it in a tin pail or pan. Set into a kettle of boiling water and stir occasionally until thoroughly cooked. When nearly cool, add a pint of goodies. I believe what's written here, goodies, is the one that's previously been made. So you can make a new batch. Just like mother dough, just add the yeast that you already had. And let it rise. One tablespoon of this yeast is sufficient for ordinary loaf of bread. If in a cool place, it will keep several months in summer without souring. So you can see this is not regular yeast they're talking about. This is, I believe... What I'm dealing with, and I know how to take care of this um, starter, this is very similar, what they had. So, we'll probably skip that. So, one more thing about weed before we start the practical. Unfortunately, the weed right now is sprayed with glyphosate. And it's not just the weed that's sprayed, but a lot of um, regular potatoes and grains, even in Cheerios, to found um, residues of Roundup. So it, is been, it has been linked to cancer. And there is a word that's called desiccation of wheat and other crops. So we have problems with wheat, with rapid rising yeast that's not breaking down the gluten. And I think another reason why people are reacting so violently to any wheat products is glyphosate. And all the different um, sprays that they put, even for storing the wheat, antifungal, all kinds of sprays that they use. So it's very, very um, toxic to our health. So Roundup residue found in our food. We're probably not going to stop, stop on this one. Um, so it's found in wheat, barley, rice, oats, popcorn, sorghum, lentils, peas, beans, non-GMO soybeans, corn, flax, rye, buckwheat, millet, canola, canola, sugar beets, potatoes, and sunflowers. You can avoid all this by buying organic. So there is one more thing about the wheat. In 2003, BASP, the chemical company, introduced the Clearfield wheat, which is tolerant to the propriety herbicide beyond, much like Roundup Ready corn is tolerant of glyphosate. They proudly proclaim that the wheat is not the product of genetic engineering, but of enhanced traditional plant breeding methods. The technique is called chemical mutagenesis, it might be worse than GMO engineering. Using a highly toxic chemical sodium azide, as well as gamma and X-ray radiation, the exposed wheat embryo mutates. After further experimentation, testing, and development, clear field wheat emerges and is tolerant of the beyond herbicide. Clear field is now supplied in 20 varieties and nearly a million acres are planted with it in the U.S. and Canada. 
again, by buying organic, you can all grow your own, that's even better. Okay, so now we're going to go to a part of baking the bread. So there are three ways of making the bread. The first one is just by hand, mixing all the ingredients together. So I will just specifically talk about making bread with the leaven, not the regular yeast. Second way, and of course with a commercial you can do that both. Second is what I have at home is Bosch mixer. And we bought it used and it's working fine. So it, you don't have to, it's about $400 brand new one, but you can buy it purchase used. Um, so this one batch, and I'm going to give you the recipe to use in Bosch mixer. One batch can make four loaves. So that's what we use for a farmer's market. It's been very, very handy because like in the summer I was baking 50 loaves of bread and I sold it in four hours. So that actually speed up the process. But you know, when you get a little bit bigger, you might have to have Hobart mixer. I'm still thinking about that one. So the scale, everybody has preference. This one I had, and I recommended last year, it's KitchenAid. But right before we came here, it started breaking down. So I don't know if I would invest into this one. But this is a really good one. It's called KB7000. It weighs what we want for measurements. We want detailed up to one gram. It's kind of hard to find, but this one is a good scale. So that will be probably after this goes, that's what I'm going to buy too. So I do bake, uh, you probably seen the really nice loaves round. They use usually in a home setting, for home, not for commercial, um, Dutch oven. I have one just like that. And if you want to make baguettes, the cell forms, in other words, once you make the batch of dough, you can make anything out of it. You can make bread, you can make baguettes. I make um, hot dog buns, uh, hamburger buns, veggie burger buns. <laughs> anything you can make out of pizza dough. So the possibilities are endless. So this is our farmer's market. Um, so that's the bread that we take to farmer's market. That bread is made, of course, with natural yeast. And Right here you can see the burger buns. You can just decorate it with all kinds of seeds to make it pretty. You know, I have to stop. How many would be interested for commercial baking instead of home baking? Can you please raise commercial? Okay, thank you. Like to sell instead of just for yourself. Okay, thanks. Let me get a little water. So success of the bread is actually in a healthy starter. That's why it's a little bit harder to make because... With commercial yeast, it's very easy. You just dump the packet of yeast. It's ready and it's perfect. It works good. With this bread, you can make really literally bricks. Really easy to make bricks. But the key to success is this leaven. So this is the same jar that I took a picture of. So you want to have... I'm sorry for pictures are not very clear. I mean, the writing. So... Last year, I was selling the starter, and because we're in a conference setting, I, it, it's not a good idea to have liquid because you cannot take it home. So what I did for this year, I actually, I never sell my starter to anybody at the farmer's market because that's kind of like my business. But for you, I would like to, I, I did it in a dehydrated flakes form. So this, you can take home with you 
So it has instructions on how to rehydrate. You will get the same product as I have. Usually it takes three days to rehydrate the starter flakes. I tried twice and I rehydrated it in one, like in 12 hours, it already has lots of bubbles. So it's pretty active. I think it's just, I always say God is the one that does all my baking. I'm just learning how to. So it has instructions how to rehydrate. It has one tablespoon inside. And all you need to do to start your own batch, what I would recommend, only one and a half teaspoon. So this is enough for two separate batches. You can share with somebody what I would do. I would keep it just in a cool place, just in case your first one, something happens to it, you have a backup. So this is actually will last you a lifetime. You will never have to buy yeast again. I never buy yeast. This, I just feed the same thing. I had it like for three years now, and that's all I do. I can multiply, I can make five gallons of this if I want to, or I can reduce it to one tablespoon. So as you bake with it, you will learn how to do that. But anyway, this will be available at the booth. So you don't even, but, or you can make your own. It takes about two weeks to start. But right now in the winter, it's a little bit tricky because of the temperature in the house. It's not consistent. In the summer, it's the best time to start to make your own um, starter if you would like to. All right, so the container. I used glass for many, many years, but I cracked this jar maybe three times so far in four years. So three or four years. I would strongly recommend to use plastic, and that's what I'm going to switch, because if you drop it, there are no glass pieces in it. You, it still can be saved. Something You don't have to have a clear, but it's nice to see where your starter is how much you have, and so on. So any, even like yogurt container or old ice cream container that's gallon size, if you need a lot, you know, to bake for a farmer's market or something. Spoons. This is a spoon that I love. It's an Amish spoon. Well, I don't know. I found it on Amish store. And this is really nice spoon because it fits perfectly into the jar to mix it. Because many spoons, you know, they're short, and I get all started all over. This is perfect. And if you, you can use it also for pickles, I mean pickling, whatever, or applesauce, whatever. It fits perfectly. I do have five of this that I purchased at the Amish store for this. At the booth it will be available if you're interested. So then feeding the starter at least once a week, two to three times. So what I do, I changed a little bit from last year, what I explained. You need to feed it, I will explain what feeding is, once a week at least. Now, if you want to bake two days from now, you want to dump most of it, you will save about two tablespoons in there, and you start feeding with equal amount of flour and water. And that you can feed a lot, you can put 100 grams of water in, flour, for example, or 200 or 700, whatever, whatever you need. It depends how much starter you need. And it depends on your recipe. So we'll stop on that a little bit later. So refrigerating or leaving it out on the counter. So if I want to bake bread like two days from now, I will dump most of it out. I will feed, let's suppose, maybe 100 and 100 flour and water. Then I can dump it again 
or if I need a lot of starter, I will just feed on top of this. Mix it, let it sit for 12 hours on the counter, not in the refrigerator, and so on. So what's the difference between the refrigerator and the counter? Because in the counter, the temperature is warm, it rises fast, the back, uh, wild yeast will eat all lactobacillus and everything will eat it fast and will start going down. You want to bake when your starter goes all the way up and peaks. Usually it's about five to six hours. That's when you want to bake with your wild starter. Then when it falls, you still can bake, maybe pizza crust or something like that. Uh, when you put it in a refrigerator, it slows down the activity. You can go on vacation and leave it in the refrigerator for like a week. We left for two weeks. So what I did, because we were gone for two weeks, I, gave, I left a little bit of starter and gave a lot of food, lots of flour and water, like 150 150 water, 150 grams. So it has a lot of food while I'm gone. And while, when I came back, I had, I think it's next picture. I'll show you how it looked like. Okay, I'll forward it. It's flat. The starter, see it on this side, on the right-hand side. It's all flat, hardly any bubbles, and a lot of waste material. I pour that out. In this case, it's not, you may not, if you bake with this starter, you will have very hard loaves, very flat bricks. If you will bake with that, it will be nice bread. So in this case, when I came back, I cannot bake right now, right away. So I had to pour everything out, leave about a tablespoon, and start feeding again. Three, four feedings, you will have nice, live, active starter again. Does it make sense when I say feeding? Feeding means you dump, okay, it's called discard. You take it out and you just leave a little bit. You put the same amount of water and flour. That's called feeding. Then I put a lid. I don't have to tighten it, just, just kind of like that, loose. Leave it on the counter for 12 hours. Then I come back 12 hours later, it will rise. I can split it now. I can put some over here because I need more starter. I put a little bit, two tablespoons here, two tablespoons here. I feed this one now. 100 grams of water, 100 grams of flour, whatever you want, 120, 120, and feed this one. Then I come again, 12 hours later on the counter, I pour more. So discard, you can use to multiply your starter, or you can make pancakes, waffles. That's what we use, a lot of waffles and pancakes for the discard. I usually don't throw away. If you don't want to use it, just put in a compost pile. Or share with a friend, they will always appreciate that. So, healthy starter. The temperature, so we have three main ingredients. It's temperature, flour, and water. Temperature, ideally, should be around 68 to 74 degrees. If it's very hot, your, uh, your starter will, it's a live organism there. You're feeding them, so they will eat everything, and they will fall down very fast. And we want to last them for some time, at least like, for five to six hours, so it will rise slowly. If it's too hot, the starter will need to be fed more often. Cool temperatures, like refrigerator or in the winter, it slows down the activities of microorganisms. Flour, white flour versus whole grain flour. I will be honest with you, the farmer's market, people just mostly want white bread. I don't know what it is, but people are so used to sourdough white bread, that's all they want. But I do um, bake whole wheat, and this, 
This is 50-50. This is whole wheat, um, freshly ground. I always grind my own wheat berries. In this recipe, I have the recipe on, um, in a second. So it's 50-50 with whole wheat and white. And then I put molasses, olive oil, and five different seeds in it. And possibility is just endless. You can create your own loaves, how you like it, how your family likes it. I have a recipe in the very end. This is 100% whole wheat bread. As you can see, it doesn't rise very well. And people always wanted nice and puffy bread at the farmer's market. This got squished a little bit, but this is 100%. Um, yeah, this is white bread. Um, it, it rises. It actually got squished with in our car, but it probably about half an inch even higher. It rises very well. So that's what people like, uh, but for home we do use whole grains. So you can choose what you want or do half and half or whichever you like. So one of the best thing is to use freshly ground berries. It's for nutrition and it's much, your bread will rise better. If you use old stale flour from a grocery store, your bread will be very, very hard and taste um, bitter with whole grain. And the last thing we'll talk about water, use filtered water. Um, very important not to use chlorinated water, especially tap water in a house in a city. It's always chlorinated, so it kills the live bacteria in there. Your lactobacillus will be killed and bread will not rise. Distilled water is not the best, but if you don't have anything else, you can do that. You can change the temperature. For example, if it's like freezing cold in here and I have to make bread, I will probably warm up my water. In the summertime, I don't have to worry about the temperature. It's not like um, commercial yeasted bread where it's very important. Everything has to be warm. This is not that specific. So we went through that. Okay. Um, let me see. I would like to stop on this. I did mention already that when you feed your starter, it's going to go up and then it's going to start falling down. You want to test your starter. I tested mine and what I did when I fed it, see I put zero, let's look at this picture. That's when I fed it. In two hours, the house was very cold. It was like probably 65 or something. It did not rise very much, two hours. But then we started the fire, the house was warm. Boom, it jumped to four hours mark. You can see it went up five hours, and that's where it peaked. It will not go any higher. So I know in five hours, five to six hours, there are two jars, and five, six hours is best. Uh, I need to let it sit on the counter. After I mix my dough, I need to let it sit for five to six hours so it will peak. My dough will peak in five to six hours. It's called fermentation. And lots of people ask me, what about fermentation? Because fermentation is not good for us. Well, do you know that commercial yeast... If you just look it up, how commercial yeast, how to make bread with commercial yeast, it always says fermentation. The bubbles that are in the bread produced by carbon dioxide, that's fermentation. So in either case, whatever yeast you use, it's fermentation. It's just longer and cold temperature fermentation with a wild yeast versus commercial yeast. Everything has to be warm and it's very fast. That's why the gluten is not broken down. So the easy way, if you don't want to do that, you can just put a rubber band. That's the easiest way I do, because for that, it takes time, whole day, half a day. This one, when you feed your starter, just put rubber band where you start and see how high it goes. And then if you see it's going down, just feed it again and 
schedule your bread making a little bit later because it's not going to produce very nice high loaves for you. And there are tips of preventing sour bread. And I think I'm just going to go ahead and jump into practical. Uh, <clears throat> I'm going to give this um, PowerPoint. It will be available on the website. But based on this, you can figure out how to make your bread not sour. And like our bread is not sour. <coughs> I'm sorry. So while you're taking a picture of that, let me grab something real quick. Sorry about that. So this one is for Bosch machine, for Bosch mixer. All you, all you do, I'm not going to demonstrate it today. I don't have the mixer. It's one cup of starter, five cups of lukewarm water, <coughs> four teaspoons of salt, and flour till it starts clearing up from the Bosch sides. <coughs> and then you can add optional all the below. I will probably post this also, the recipe for the waffles. You can add blueberries to it, anything you like. This is a very helpful website. It's called Northwest Sourdough. She has lot, uh, Teresa Greenway. She posted lots of recipes, um, tips on how to make bread with a starter. Okay, so unfortunately it's coming out blurry. This is the bread we're going to make. And it's super, super easy. You just, um, let me make sure I'm centered. So I already have water, and it's asking for four ingredients. It's 240 grams of water, 140 grams of starter. I'm going to turn it on. And you can see the consistency of the starter. See, it flows. When it's warm, it flows. When it's cold and refrigerated, it doesn't flow. 140. With this bread, you have to be exact, just like soap making. Kind of like measure everything. With the Bosch, I just kind of dump it and touch it. But this one, you kind of want to know exactly how to, gram by gram. Okay, so it's 140 grams of starter. And what I like to do, I like to mix it. You can see it, so the starter dissolves in the water. So it kind of becomes like milky. You put salt, nine grams of salt. It's not like in a commercial, you cannot combine yeast with salt, this you can. And the last ingredient is 100, no, 240, 400 grams of, 400 grams of flour. And I will have it available. You can just take a picture with your phone. You don't have to write. I will leave it somewhere here. So I'm going to put 400. And that's it. That's four ingredients. Just mix it. You can see that I'm not that particular. I'm just mixing it all. All you want to do is to incorporate all the flour into the... And mix the starter, the salt, but no kneading. It's called no kneading bread. Just trying a little bit on the corners left. And that's it. Sorry, I have to clean up my fingers here. You cover it with a lid and you let it rest for one and a half hour. That's it. It's very easy, no machinery involved. So usually I put alarm for myself so I will not forget. For this to make bread, and again, I do have a recipe for whole grain bread. So 
you don't have to make this white one. But I put the alarm for one and a half hour, I walk away. When I come back, it's called stretch and fold technique. You probably heard about it. You want to wet your hand. It will not look the same shaggy bread. It will be much more elastic. So I just want to wet my hands and I'll show you stretch and fold. I take my bread, I mean a lump of dough, and I stretch it. In one and a half hour it will not tear that much. Stretch, fold, and do it stretch and fold four times like an envelope technique. You want to stretch it. And again, it will not tear. Right now it's tearing because I just mixed it. The gluten is not broken down yet. So, And then you want to flip it and let it sit again for another hour. And so on. You will do stretch and fold three times and it will be ready for baking. So the only thing about this technique that you have to be home and watch it. But while you're doing other things, you know, it's kind of like doing its own job. And then at the very end, when it's five to six hours, it's called bulk fermenting. So from start, when I mix the bread to when I take my dough out of there, it will be five to six hours. Because you remember my starter takes about four to six hours to rise. So while it's rising, I'm going to show you how I feed the starter. come out of water. Like right now all I need is just maybe like a little bit. I can do 20, whatever it is, 26. So now I know I need to put 26 grams of flour. It has to be equal amount. So I brought it to zero. I'll put 26. Like there was about a quarter left, about a quarter left, but you want to make sure that you always have at least two tablespoons or one tablespoon left, enough to inoculate your next batch. So 25, 20. Temperature of the water, I just use tap water. Now again, I take my long spoon and carefully mix it. Mix the starter water in the flour. I want to incorporate air. Scrape the sides. And if I want to make another batch, let's suppose I just fed it in the morning, I can make another batch in the evening already. Because it needs minimum five to six hours to rise. And then I can make another batch. Or if I don't want to bake for a whole week and I'm done with baking, I just close it, put in the refrigerator for a whole week. Does it make sense? I know it's a lot of new science, but really this is your gold. Once you have it going, you want to feed it. The more often you feed, the less sour your bread will be. If you want really sour, which I know you don't, but some people say if some Francisco style want really sour, just don't feed it very often, then it will be really sour. Uh, I do feed a lot. Um, so we, we fed it, we finished with it. So now coming back to this. So let's suppose five to six hours passed and I'm ready to bake. I like to use the Benetton baskets or 
brown baskets. And I'm going to make round. That's where it came from, like that, before it was baked. So I'm going to put flour so it will not stick. Again, the dough, after five, six hours, it will not be so sticky. It will be very elastic like rubber band. It, it's just amazing transformation. It will be very easy to handle. It will not be sticky. So I use rice flour because rice flour helps with non-sticking. The regular wheat flour sticks a lot. So rice flour is amazing. It does not get absorbed, doesn't extract water from here. So I take it and I'll show you. So after five to six hours, I prepared my basket. I put just maybe a little bit. I don't, at home, I don't even put flour in there. Table. It because it will be so elastic, it will be so nice. So here's a technique after you take it out. It's called pool technique and let me wet it because right now it's very sticky. And I go like this. Unfortunately my board is moving. To make a bowl. It will be like a ball. It will be nice and round and smooth and elastic. So I made a nice round loaf. And I'll just leave it on the counter for 20 minutes. So overview again, I mix it, bulk ferment for five to six hours, bench rest, they call it, for 20 minutes. Then this will be ready. After 20 minutes, I will turn it upside down because this will become your top of your bread. So you want to turn it upside down. I usually cover it with a towel, clean towel, not this towel, and let it sit for about one and a half to two hours at the room temperature. The technique is very similar to all whole wheat, spell, bread. I just wanted to show you this. It's called no kneading um, bread, but it's pretty much the same for all. A little variation, but it's pretty much the same. So this recipe was developed by Teresa Greenway, the one that I showed you then. Her name is on the recipe too. And after it's baked, I preheat the Dutch oven that you saw, the red one, in the oven for 30 minutes at least at 400 degrees. It should be really, really hot. So I preheat it and then when it's ready, I open up the lid of Dutch oven. Let's suppose this is Dutch oven. It's very, very hot. I dump it in there, close the lid, put it in the oven, and the heat, it's called oven spring, it's going to just pop up. The bread is just going to go up really high and fast. You'll have a pretty design on the very top because of the basket. So you bake it uh, for 400, at 400 degrees for 30 minutes, and then you're going to open up the lid and bake additional 15 minutes. And it's ready, and it will be done like this. It will be a nice loaf of bread. This I baked in a regular pan. Let's see, so people like this one at the farmer's market because of the sandwiches and that they can make. This one is more like artisan, they cut it, put soup or dip in there. But like again, unfortunately it's all white. But now you will have a recipe for white and a whole wheat recipe too. I think we have eight minutes left. If you have any questions, please ask me. Yeah, they will be online. Okay, if you don't have any questions, I can tell you more. When you put the same amount of 
flour and water, like what you saw me. It's called 100% hydration starter. So it's equal amount. So when you see any recipe online that says you need so much of 100% hydration starter, this is what you will have. <coughs> equal amount. Sorry, I have... I think I'm a little nervous. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing great. Uh, Lily, I was just wondering, have you made this with no wheat? Like if you were trying to just use millet or rice flour, will it work without wheat? <coughs> you can. I will just hold like this. You can, um, but you will need starter that's specifically no gluten starter. There is a starter that you can buy. It's called rice flour starter in flake form. You can just rehydrate it and make it the same technique. I think it's a little bit different technique. I never made it, but okay. it is a good possibility of making that. Okay, thank you. So after you did your stretch and fold for the last time and you did your pulling and put it in the basket, could you then put it in the fridge overnight just like if you don't have time to bake right away? I mean, this is a lot of time if you don't have all day, but you want to make bread like this. That's a good could question. you then put that in the fridge and then bake in the morning? Or yes. can you like feed your sourdough like right before you go to bed and then bake and then start the process in the morning from the jar? Like, is there some overnight process that can help with timing? <laughs> yes, actually the whole wheat recipe that I, I have, it's actually asking for putting your dough, once it's, um, actually once you put it in the basket, you put it in the refrigerator covered for 10 to 12 hours. So it slows down, it's not going to over ferment, it's not sour, you know, it doesn't taste sour. But in the morning when you take it out, you need to bring it to room temperature. So for me it took two hours to bring it back to room temperature, to make it warm enough. But you will have to just check and see, open it up. If it's still low, it's not rising, then, you know, it should be somewhere here, the loaf itself. Now, when I do the regular bread, I guess I will just hold it with a Bosch, like this bread. I make it the night before, and then it rises overnight in a big bowl. I just put plastic cover, and in the morning I bake with it, split into loaves in the morning. I like the Bosch method a lot because I make it once and I don't think about it, I go to bed. In the morning I will have four loaves of bread ready to go. Exactly, exactly. So this allows the lactobacillus to break down the gluten. That's, very, that's the key of the health benefit. So body, I think it's just we eat way too much wheat that's not broken down, especially with hybridized wheat. It's um, foreign to our body, and then it's not broken down, and body cannot handle it. And then it says, that's it, I'm done with it, and we become gluten intolerant. And once you're diagnosed with gluten intolerance, it's kind of a curse for the rest of your life, because you have to watch it all the time. So this way, you can prevent problems from even becoming, especially for children, so they will not have gluten intolerance. I'm sorry, Vivian. Can you repeat her question for the recording, please? What Chelsea said? So why we fermented for so long, for 10 to 12 hours, is because the wild yeast does not act the same way the commercial yeast, because wild yeast is alive like the bacillus. It's like yogurt making. 
if you put, you can put inoculum that's commercially available in one hour you can have yogurt or less. But if you want to make it from scratch at home, it does take 12 to 24 hours. But this is only like 10 to 12 hours. I, I have three questions. I might have missed it, but you said that's a no, no gluten starter? Or? That's a good question. It's confusing because it's all wheat, but the starter breaks down the gluten. So people who have problems with the gluten, the, many of them can digest this bread. Okay, so then when you mix in the flour, is that flour whole wheat flour? And it does have gluten not broken down though, but it's, it still works itself out chemically? Any bread flour, yes. It will whole wheat, spelt, it will break down the gluten structure. The, the starter will break down the extra flour that you add in. Right. Okay. My second question is, uh, what's the machine that you're saying you're putting stuff in? Bosch. Bosch? Yeah, I have a picture of it I can show to you. Yeah. How does that work? I, is it, does it um, need the bread for you? Bosch is uh, just a mixer. It has a dough oh. attachment right there. This is more for like pastry and cookie attachment. But the dough hook, that's what you want to use for the dough mix. And I just put ingredients, again, just like that. Salt, everything together. I just, right away, I put the oil. The seeds I put in the very end. But the oil, molasses, honey, whatever you want to use in the very beginning, I put for, just put all ingredients, dump it in there. And for 10 minutes, I turn the machine on. It needs it. Then I take the dough out. I put it on a big bowl, cover with a plastic, wait minimum six hours or overnight. And in the morning, I form into loaves and bake it. So how is that different from a bread maker? Bread maker does everything from start to finish. There is no, you can just put ingredients together, push the start button, and it will bake everything done. Mm. You, never ha you can leave the house, it will be done. But this one, it just mixes it, and that's it. And you do the rest of it. Okay, so it's like a, I'm going to repeat what you said. It's like a, what you say? Just, <laughs> kitchen aid, a yeah. large kitchen Okay, is there either one better and, or worse? Bread maker, Bosch? I like Bosch, personally, Hobart is the next step up. That will be one of the best choices. It can make up to 16 loaves or 10 loaves in a batch. Last question. I've, want, I've always wanted to do bread making, but it terrifies me because of the waiting process. Can you speak to those who may have this issue with just patience? How, how do you just break past that fear of having to wait and the kneading and all that work that goes into it and possibly end up with a brick, you know? Right. Can you give some encouragement in that? Thank you. I would just, I would encourage you not to be afraid of bricks. My children eat bricks. They ate so many bricks. Oh, I'm sorry. That's my time for, I time myself so I know when to stop. But that's how we learn. Okay. The, Thomas Edison, he had to invent a light bulb. He failed so many times. So don't be discouraged. And I would encourage you, you go home, you try it. It's just, you learn one way that it doesn't work. So please persevere. Um, this technique I like if you have time, if you're home all day, no kneading involved. You just dump everything, mix it. The only thing you have to come, stretch and fold, takes about 30 seconds and so on. But um, 
I would say commercial, commercially yeast bread making is much faster. This is a little bit longer. This is what the trick is about this starter. If it's healthy, you're going to have wonderful, amazing loaves. Thank you so much for this presentation. Uh, I've always stayed away from sourdough because I don't like sour, the sour taste. So I'm really encouraged to hear you say that it doesn't have to be sour. When you say you feed your uh, starter often so it's not sour, how often are you talking? That's a very good question because professional bakeries feed it twice a day because of the amount of baking they do. So to prevent sourness in your bread, you want to make sure you feed it at least once a week, at least. I would encourage if you want to just get rid of all sourness every day. You can feed it every day. You will never have sour bread at all. Wow. And uh, if you, like you said, you left it in the fridge, you went away for two weeks, you come back, uh, how long does then, uh, how long does it take to get it back to not being sour? It depends how active your starter is. So the more active, the faster it will come back. Does it make sense? Mm -hmm. What we want to do is to see lots of bubbles. Mm -hmm. So when you see lots of bubbles, it's coming to life. Okay. So you won't know until you see the process. Like mine, I came back in like two days. It was perfectly fine again to bake. Okay. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Praise God. Any more questions? Anybody? Do you keep the starter in the refrigerator or in a cool place? I keep my starter always in the refrigerator. Before I want to bake bread, I have to think ahead of time, at least a couple days ahead of time, and start feeding more often. I feed it in the morning and at night, like for two days, and your bread will be nice and light. Thank you. Thank you, Lilia. Um, what I have experimented with, instead of waiting an hour, if you want to shorten your waiting time, I, I stretch mine every 30 minutes, and it, it works. Yeah. It is amazing. Yeah. Don't be discouraged. Take to heart. Let us not be weary and will doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Don't faint early. Continue working with that, Jill. Like she said, she's made many bricks. I could probably build a house with them. But we've gotten over the bricks. Now we make good bread. And a six-year-old can do it. You can do it too. So what I have learned, that I don't have to wait an hour. I can stretch it every 30 minutes. And I might stretch it more than three times. I might do it four to five times. If when you stretch it, you can kind of, they call it the window pane. If you can stretch it and it's elastic and it's almost see-through, you know your, your gluten is already good and developed and you, it's ready to shape and put in your Benetton baskets and let it bulk ferment. So just experiment and have fun. Thank you. Thank you for reminding me. I was going to show you that. So your bread right now, I already can feel it's elastic. Look at this. There was a shaggy mass I just talked to 15, for 15 minutes. So what window pane is, that's how you test. You want to stretch it like this. And see it's not breaking down already. Because if it was breaking down, I could not even handle it. So if, you, if it's not breaking down like that, that's called window pane, and that's what I'm looking for. I go and I stretch it, and it's holding its shape. So that's what we're looking for, for bread development. You make sure that, and it does not have to be, thank you for that point again, it doesn't have to be exact one and a half hour or 30 minutes exactly. As long as you do three or four times, 
stretch and fold in this five times bulk fermentation, it will work. So I can show you again. I don't know. I probably don't have time. Okay. I just see it's already more stretchy. But after four or five times, four times you stretch, it will just be like rubber band. You'll stretch it and fold, stretch and fold. Lilia, I was just wondering, when you use the Bosch and you leave it overnight in the, you were saying in a bowl, right? Overnight yeah. covered. Yeah. In the morning, these are the ones you're going to take to market, right? You've got four loaves. Do you individually do the same process you're just saying here where you stretch and pull and do that and wait an hour afterwards, the same process with those four loaves? Thank you for bringing that up. I guess I mean, did not make it very clear. So there are three different ways of making bread. One of them is stretch and fold. That's why you don't mix anything. The second one is Bosch. You just mix it for 10 minutes, leave it in a bowl, in the morning you shape and bake it. You no stretching. You let it rise after you shape and put it in the... Yeah, in the, you let it rise. You let just, it rise till it gets to the top of the uh -huh, bowl? Yeah. And then you bake them yeah. together. Uh-huh. Okay. That I seems like, more simple. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, this is very simple technique. Okay. You just mix it for 10 minutes, let it rise overnight. In the morning, I divide it and I weigh my dough so make sure it's all equally measured out. Let it rise, just like regular bread, okay. the same. And then you oh, one more thing, if I have time. When you put in the oven, it's very important. It's called oven spring. You put it at 400 degrees, like regular bread loaves. I don't have bread loaves. But when I put it in there, I put it at high temperature for 15 minutes. It allows the heat just puffs it up really high. And then after 10 minutes, I lower it to regular like 350 and bake for the rest of the 30 minutes. It brings the bread loaves even higher. Thank you. Um, I guess my question went with that. Uh, do you oil the Dutch pan or is it just hot? I'm or sorry? Do you oil the Dutch oven or grease it? I don't grease it, no. no just it's just all dry. You can put a little bit of dusting of rice flour, corn flour on the bottom if you want to, but you don't have to. Okay, I, our time is up, but thank you very much, Lilia. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.